You're about to listen to Office Hours with me, Georgia Howe. This is a weekly companion series to PragerU's popular five-minute videos, where I explore various political and cultural topics with PragerU experts, asking questions and digging deeper to bring you perspectives that you may not hear in a traditional college classroom. To watch the video version of this series, click on the link in the description or go to dailywire.com. Welcome to Office Hours. I'm Georgia Howe. Today, we sit down with PhD mathematician, author, and founder of New Discourses, James Lindsay. James's new PragerU video is titled, What is Critical Race Theory? Where he breaks down the controversial theory that is dominating educational institutions across the United States. While many people proclaim that critical race theory is the continuation of the civil rights movement, James explains why it is actually fundamentally opposed to the great civil rights movement of the 1960s. Let's jump right in. James, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me. So I'm actually a huge fan. I read your book, Cynical Theories. I watch a ton of your interviews, so I'm really pumped to have you here. Oh, that's exciting to hear. Thanks. Yeah, so something you brought up in the video is that critical race theory is explicitly anti-American. I want to play a quick clip, and then I have a question for you. Here it is in the words of Richard Delgado and Gene Stefanczyk, two leading proponents. Critical race theory questions the very foundations of the liberal order, including equality theory, legal reasoning, enlightenment rationalism, and the neutral principles of constitutional law. Critical race theory, therefore, is not a continuation of the civil rights movement. It is, in fact, a repudiation of it. To critical race theorists, Martin Luther King was both wrong and naive. White Americans can never judge blacks by the content of their character. They can only judge them, always unfavorably, consciously, or unconsciously, by the color of their skin. The premise of critical race theory is totally antithetical to what Martin Luther King stood for in terms of judging people by the content of their character and not by the color of their skin. And yet, so many people, millions of people, have been hoodwinked into believing that this is the continuation of the civil rights movement. How did that happen? They've done a really good job of branding themselves as the unique pathway to anti-racism. They've also branded themselves as the uh, inheritors of the civil rights movement. And the people who were seeing how the civil rights movement wasn't able to accomplish everything in a fundamentally racist society. So they needed to propose a new way to take it, as they say, beyond traditional approaches to civil rights into a new way that then kind of throws the whole thing out and, and you know, comes at it from exactly the opposite premise. Um, the, the, it's very, not, it's not well known, but it's, it's a very famous thing that back in the 1960s, they would march in the civil rights movement with placards that read, I am a man, not I'm a black man. You know, they weren't, they weren't proclaiming their, their identity first, but if you actually read the civil, uh, the critical race, race theory literature, you find them saying things like there's a fundamental difference between a statement like I am black and I am a person who happens to be black because the second of those, I am a person who happens to be black, puts humanity first and identity second, whereas I am black puts identity front and center and allows it to be useful for a very different kind of identity politics that rejects what the civil rights movement was all about in the first place. Well, yeah, I think of that iconic sign. I think that was the, like maybe 1968, it was the uh, Memphis garbage workers protest. And the entire idea of that sign was to uh, emphasize the common humanity of those garbage workers with all the other men or humans in society. So it's amazing, actually, how completely, completely opposite this new approach is. Critical race theory has been really successful because 
it exploits our Achilles heel as a liberal society. Um, it really speaks to the things that we're concerned about here, like justice and fairness. And it really hacks into human psychology in a really genius way. And once you start to understand how it works, you start to see why it people have really latched onto it. Does critical race theory have any weaknesses? Yeah, it has actually a, a number of weaknesses that are pretty easy to exploit. Number one is that the the depth of their analysis isn't very isn't very deep at all. So it's actually if you spend just a little bit of time with it, it starts to become easy to see through it. It becomes very easy to see that it's a manipulation. It doesn't have again very much depth at all. So for example, once people realize that they say things that critical race theory is a movement designed to reject the fundamental tenets of the liberal order, all of a sudden the spell that, oh, this is the liberal side of things falls away. When they say that we reject equality theory, this is straight out of one of their books, then people will say, wait a minute, but I thought equality was the point. When they say things like that, uh, they reject enlightenment rationalism, legal reasoning, rule of law, and neutral principles of constitutional law, people get upset, a little uncomfortable with this. So this opens a door for people to say, wait a minute, this isn't what you're selling me, right? There's a you're, you're selling me a nice picture on the outside of the box, but what's inside is garbage. And then it's already to the point where the majority of people who aren't caught in its sway, no longer, if somebody says, you're, you're a racist, you're upholding white supremacy, they, they don't go along with it anymore. So it's already to that point where people are realizing that it's a manipulation or even an extortion that's being pulled on them from false premises. So it's weaknesses in its, in, in its shallowness. And in, in fact, it's cruelty and its willingness to, to be racist. You know, one of the biggest cracks in the armor has come up just recently this year where there's rampant anti-Asian American racism being perpetrated and then defended from within critical race theory by saying that what needs to happen is that the Asians need to recognize that what's really happening to them is white supremacy and that they have to then, you know, interrogate their own anti-blackness instead of the, the clear things that are actually happening to them right in front of their own eyes. And Asians, by the way, Asian Americans, especially immigrants from countries like China and Vietnam, are not really likely to fall for this. They're not going to have it. Oh, wait, explain that again. So this is their their own internalized anti-blackness that is manifesting as anti-Asian uh, discrimination? Critical race theory holds that every race that isn't black and every political position that isn't critical race theory is inherently anti-blackness. That's one of its very simplistic assumptions. Everything that's not it is anti-black. That's what they position. And so you end up with people like Kanye West, who happens to be black, putting on a MAGA hat and saying, I think for myself and Tana Hissy Coates writing, you know, a day later, um, you're not black anymore. You have Joe Biden standing up and saying, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. You know, this kind of thing that they, they've got this whole idea that everything that's not their ideology equals anti-blackness. So now you have, you have Asian Americans getting beat up in the street. They're hiding the fact that many of these crimes, not all, but most are being perpetrated by black individuals. And then they're telling the Asian community that you have to, if you call for police, that's you being anti-black. If you call these people out, that's you being anti-black. Then, and then they try to, to leverage this idea that Asian Americans must have anti-blackness as well and that they uphold white supremacy. And it's just ludicrously cartoonish at this point for people to have to deny the evidence of their eyes and, and what's actually happening to them. Uh, meanwhile, they're getting discriminated against in schools, and that's being justified also on exactly the same premises. And they're supposed to just ignore this and pretend that it's not a thing. And it's, it doesn't work at, at a certain point. The shallowness is revealed. So you, may, you sound pretty optimistic that you think there is a shift in our consciousness about what's going on. I mean, 
you know, I do a lot of coverage of uh, some of the stuff going on in K through 12 schools, and I still see a lot of parents are afraid to speak up at these school board meetings, mostly because they'll be called racist no matter what they're opposing uh, pornography in schools most recently. Um, would you say that you think the majority of people are starting to see this or like, do you think we have a lot of silent people? What do you think is going on? For me, more people are aware of it than I thought would be by this point. As a matter of fact, nobody was supposed to be aware of what was going on. They're supposed to, everybody's supposed to be way behind and not even clear on what's going on at this point and the progression. If you think of how they, they've, they've used this to try to move through society and Lots of people are. People are still silent, but people are also starting to speak up. And we're starting to see people realize, I have to say something now. It's not going to burn out. It's not going to go away on its own. And that courage begets more courage. And I've been seeing this kind of snowball of courage begin to roll. Now, the institutions are very heavily captured, and they're way behind. They're going to lag behind all of the, the stuff that's happening on the ground. But there's a lot of energy right now. I keep hearing from pol from political candidates that are telling me in different races how much energy there is when they bring up the idea that they're going to challenge critical race theory and take critical race theory out of our schools, out of our workplaces, out of our federal apparatuses, out of the military like Tom Cotton is attempting to do. So there's a ton of popular energy behind that. And if politics actually does follow culture, then the culture is already shifting very rapidly. So you made an interesting comment about you said that no one was supposed to be aware of it by now in its progression. Uh, is there a sort of plan that you've uncovered or where are you getting that from? Well, I mean, yes, <laughs> then it's not really uncovered. They yeah. say it all the time. Right. It's in basically everything they write that they have this kind of intention to come in and infiltrate the institutions. It's sometimes labeled as the long march to the institutions in the, in the words of Rudy Deutschke. Uh, and the the idea has been for a while to mainstream this stuff and to push this stuff. You know, we're seeing these new revelations about CNN and how they're implicated in some of this. And the idea with the long march to the institutions is that this goes back 100 years to Antonio Gramsci. I didn't, don't mean to get heavily philosophical with you, but the idea was to get inside of the institutions and create a counter hegemony, a counterculture within the institutions, and then have it all burst out at once. And that depends on the people not knowing what's happening to them. That depends on using words in incorrect ways or novel ways so they don't realize what's happening. And something obscure like critical race theory, this is very academic theory that uses very thick academic jargon and published in academic literature that nobody reads. It wasn't supposed to have a public groundswell against it, uh, according to the people who wanted to infiltrate the institutions and install it at the level of policy before people would be able to push back against it. It felt like critical race theory really kind of went mainstream around the early 2010s. Um, I was actually working in education at that time, and I got a little preview of it working in schools. But it felt like it really burst into the mainstream, like on university campuses and um, in the news around maybe 2012. Do you have any theories about why we were so vulnerable to it at that moment in time? I mean, a lot of things were happening then. One, of course, is the the quick rise of internet platforms like blogging platforms and social media that allowed for very different capacities for communication, I guess. And so there's those kind of structural issues. There's also the fact that uh, it was able to be mainstreamed on the back of the reaction. There was a racist reaction that arose when Barack Obama was elected president in 2008. And that was very easily spun into a narrative that says, look how secretly racist 
American society really has been. They can't handle the first black president. And that narrative, though, that America is secretly racist is the heartbeat of critical race theory. So it was able to kind of start mainstreaming there. Uh, also, we had come to a point where the march into the educational institutions had largely borne fruit. They had gained most of the administrative and institutional um, positions of power in our education system and our teaching colleges and in universities by the early 2010s. Furthermore, the, the theory had kind of matured. It was kind of, you know, when they first came out, people would have to say, well, according to critical race theory or in critical race theory, this, they'd have to, you know, remark upon the idea that they're using a theoretical lens. So about 2010 or so in the literature, you see that kind of stop. And they just say the things that critical race theory says as though they're just true. And so there is a maturity of the theory all kind of coming to, the, to a head at that point as well. Something I heard you say in a past interview is that critical race theory is like a vat of strong acid and it kind of dissolves anything you put in it. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, that's the idea of a critical theory in general is that it's supposed to tear at the, it's supposed to find and tear at the alleged contradictions in everything. So it's supposed to pull up moral contradictions. You know, we're supposed to be a country that lives up to all men are created equal. Well, look how unequal things are. Look how how inequitable outcomes are. So it go, anything it, it attaches to, it kind of eats away at it morally. It also eats away at the, it claims that it's looking into the underlying assumptions and tries to eat away at those things. It tries to take um, founding principles and kind of pervert them uh, to, to say that those, those those values either are never never meant to be lived up to or that, in fact, they, they hide or mask white supremacy. So it slowly eats away at anything. That's the point of a critical theory is to dissolve the fundamental, like at the level of understanding the thing itself, like understanding who you are as an individual, understanding who you are as a company or an institution. It's like dissolving those fundamental uh, values at the very basic level so that you don't really have that principled position where you can stand in yourself and feel confident in yourself and say, no, you know, this really, we, we were on the right track. They try to get into that and to dissolve everything by by this tool of problematizing, saying, here's where it falls short. Here's where it's not perfect. Here's where it causes harm. Here's where, you know, one thing after another, after another, revealing the so-called contradictions within everything. So you sound a little bit optimistic, which I like. How hopeful are you in terms of our ability to withstand this ideology here in the U.S.? We we are at an inflection point, actually. If you would have asked me two months ago, I would have been much more pessimistic. Uh, like I said, this groundswell, people realizing that they can have courage, that they can speak up, and some of them will be removed from their positions or lose their jobs or be subjected to trials. Uh, but in the end, that if each person who stands up, you know, it creates a possibility to push back against this. You see the 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 person in Allison Collins and the San Francisco school board, for example, is actually there's something is moving there. It was not an easy fight, but she's being stripped of her power and may end up recalled. So we're starting to see the ability to push back, wake up. So I am a little bit more optimistic than I was, but I think we're at a crucial inflection point where we have to start to remember what our values are. We have to remember who we are. We have to remember what we stand for as a country and that we stand best united, genuine unity, not what we're trying to have sold to us, you know. Um, and so I don't know, but I still stand by the claim that if we keep allowing critical theory to be mainstream and dominant, if we keep giving into its manipulations and tolerating its manipulations, then eventually it will dissolve our the, the, the sinews of our society. And American civilization, it can happen here, will fall apart. Western civilization will fall apart. Well, 
Thank you so much, James. Where can people find you online? They can find me personally on most social media outlets at Conceptual James. Uh, my company is New Discourses. It's at newdiscourses.com and it's on most social media at New Discourses. If you enjoyed this conversation and want to hear more from James Lindsay, make sure to go out and pick up a copy of his book, Cynical Theories. And that's the end of today's Office Hours. Make sure to tune in next week for our conversation with a new PragerU presenter. I'm Georgia Howe. Thanks for tuning in. As a reminder, if you'd like to see the video version of this show, or if you haven't seen this week's PragerU five-minute video, make sure to click on the link in the description below, or head over to dailywire.com. We'll see you next Monday for a new interview with another PragerU presenter. (music) 